<clears throat> this, uh, this evening, our governor issued a shelter-in-place order for the next 21 days. So as a result, uh, the church uh, will not be open. Uh, we will continue to do online services and provide a prayer for all who need it. Anybody who is able, uh, if you have our websites, you have my number. So uh, go on and, and check it as we uh, uh, offer more opportunities online. We'll have, hopefully be able to update some numbers for some prayer requests and so forth so that we'll still be able to get those out to the prayer chain and uh, try to keep uh, things running in that regard as smoothly as possible. Also with the governor's order, uh, non-essential businesses are closing, but uh, he did uh, indicate that uh, essential business is uh, daycare for essential personnel. So next Monday, our daycare will be open for essential personnel. If that's uh, you or you know somebody who needs that service, have them call uh, to the daycare office and we'll see if we'll be able to, to help them out. So hopefully we'll be able to be uh, helpful for our community during this time. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open up the book of Jeremiah. I always think it's fascinating as we study the Word of God, how often, it doesn't matter where we are, we're in Second uh, Timothy on Sunday mornings, we're in Jeremiah on Wednesday evenings, and it doesn't matter where we are or what we're doing, it seems like God has a word to share to us through His uh, living and powerful Word to encourage us for our time and our day. So it's my prayer that we'll find that encouragement for us in, of all places, Jeremiah, the book of the weeping prophet. Now we've been following an outline, working our way through Jeremiah, set on uh, several distinct thoughts, uh, mostly drawn from David Hawking. The call of Jeremiah in chapter one, we saw that God distinctly called Jeremiah to the office of prophet. And then next we see in the next uh, chapter two to 25, the consequence of judgment, God's judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. This is a book detailing the exile, the fact that the children of Israel are going to go outside of the land, which was their promise through uh, uh, Yahweh to them, that they would have this would be their their um, uh, part in what they had from the Lord. And so he's laying out for them, here's the consequences of your unfaithfulness uh, to God, this, this covenant that has been broken. So he talked about the extent of their iniquities the effect of a false religious system. He's talked about the exhortation to obedience. We need to obey. What was the importance of the covenant? The if-then covenant that God had given to the children of Israel. He also laid out for him an instruction on the captivity. And every time God talks about exile, every time God talks about judgment, he also talks about the return. He also talks about redemption. If we'll hear what God has for us. Last week we saw the illustration of the girdle. And this week we're going to see the intercession of Jeremiah. And this is again the next part of Jeremiah where Jeremiah is praying for the people. And God's going to say, Jeremiah, stop praying. So let's take a look at what the Lord has for us tonight. In Jeremiah 14 beginning at verse 1. says, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the drought. Judah mourns and her gates languish. Her people lament on the ground and the cry of Jerusalem goes up. 
Her nobles send their servants for water. They come to the cisterns, but they find no water. They return with their vessels empty. They are ashamed and confounded and cover their heads. Because of the ground that is dismayed, since there is no rain on the land, the farmers are ashamed. They cover their heads. Even the doe in the field forsakes her newborn fawn because there is no grass. The wild donkeys stand on the bare heights. They pant for air like jackals. And their eyes fail because there is no vegetation. He begins with this idea of the perils of the drought, which was always the beginning sign to the children of Israel that they were in a place of judgment. Amos would declare to the people that there would come a drought, a drought upon the land, which was a drought of the word of God. People turning their hearts and minds away from what God's word was instructing them in, turning their hearts off toward the Lord. And the result of that would be a spiritual drought. Here we see a physical drought. Their cries are not being heard. They are covering their heads, which is a sign of confusion in their day. We don't know what to do. What's going on? Isn't that what it feels like every time we turn on the news now? Or if you go on the Facebook If you're confused by what's going on in the world in the last 15 minutes, just wait 15 more minutes and something's going to change. A new development's going to come out or or, or a new part of some tragedy that we see. And so they covered their heads in confusion. They sent their servants for water. And it's an interesting Hebrew word. That word for servants is the word little ones. It's not the normal word for servants. It's a word for little ones. The idea is they're sending their children. Go get some water. And the children are running out to gather water, but they can find no water. There's no water in the cisterns. They come back with empty pots. They don't have anything to fill the pots with. The clouds aren't bringing any rain. The ground is dismayed. That means the ground is cracked. It's stressed. In fact, we see that animals don't have any grass to eat. The wild animals sense no rain coming, even though they pan at the air. And here's what we need to understand. Our sin affects our world. The sin that we walk in, the sin that we we allow around us, the things that we tolerate and encourage in our world, they have a lasting and real physical effect. The sin of of Judah did not only affect Judah, it did not only affect parents, it affected children. It didn't only affect children, it affected livestock, it affected wild animals, it affected vegetation. The sin had affected the world around them. This is not a new concept. In Romans chapter 8, Paul talking about creation, he says this, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is waiting with eager longing for the day when the sons of God, the children of God will be redeemed, when actual redemption will take place. Why? The scripture goes on to tell us, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. The futility is a subjection to creation in hope. A hope that there is a day of redemption. 
that there is a day of restoration. Even today, as we, as we hear for 21 days, we're going to be sheltering in place. I'm already looking forward to day 22. The same thing is true when we look at the effect of sin on the world. The scripture told us in Genesis, when Cain slew his brother Abel, God said to Cain, where's your brother? Cain said, oh, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The earth is crying out about innocent blood shed here. Creation has been subjected to the fall of man and to our continuous sin. He goes on in verse 21 of Romans 8 that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There is a day. I love love the song that talks about this day that's coming, a day of redemption, a day of restoration. And if you carefully listen as we go through the prophets, not if you, if you have your ears tuned only to hear the judgment of God, then that's what you'll hear. But if you'll have your ears tuned to hear the mercy of God and the hope of God, that there will be a day when the exile is over. There will be a day when judgment ceases. There will be a day when the wicked are put down and the righteous are lifted up. There will be a day, and this is what creation is groaning for. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The whole world is affected. And this is what the Lord is telling Jeremiah. Look, here's the sin of the people, their unfaithfulness to the Lord. He's going to lay out some distinct things as he talks about King Manasseh in in a few verses. But as we look at some of the issues, he's saying this sin affects us globally who would have ever thought in our lifetime we would see an event like we're seeing right now where something is affecting the world globally there's there's been minor ripples little uh uh examples of things that could happen movies that have talked about this but here we find ourselves in a day-to-day reality where the things we're dealing with here in Buell, idaho they're dealing with in italy they're dealing with in China. They're dealing with in England. It's everywhere. The whole earth is groaning. So Jeremiah cries out to the Lord. Jeremiah 14 verse 7 says, Though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake. For our backslidings are many. I love this. I love that Jeremiah does this. Daniel does this. Ezekiel does this. And these are prayers for the people, standing in intercession for the people, proclaiming their guilt. So hard for people these days to acknowledge their own responsibility. I'm a guilty man. And here Jeremiah is saying, look, we know our iniquity testifies against us. We see it on the corruption in the world around us. For our backslidings, our turning our back and sliding away from the Lord, we have sinned against you. O you, and here's what he calls the Lord, the hope of Israel. Even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of drought, even in the midst of judgment, 
Jeremiah sees the Lord as the hope of Israel. I hope you know today that the Lord Jesus Christ is the hope of the United States. He's the hope of all the world. I hope you understand that. He cries out. He calls him not only the hope of Israel. He also says it's Savior in time of trouble. There is salvation by no other name but in the name of Jesus Christ. Why should you be like a stranger in the land? Like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night. Why should you be like a man confused? Like a mighty warrior who cannot save? These are all descriptive ways that Jeremiah is looking at the Lord and saying, no, don't be the guy who just passes by. Don't just walk by us, Lord. He's calling out that God would turn from his judgment, that he would bring salvation, physical salvation upon the people, that the exile might turn away. Yet he says, yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. One of the promises that God gave was that I will never leave you or forsake you. That's not only New Testament. This is something that the Lord declared throughout the Old Testament as well. If God called his people to exile, the Lord went to exile with his people. If the people were, were being tried by fiery serpents, where was the Lord? He was in their midst. Whatever the people were going through, whether in bondage in Israel or, excuse me, bondage in, in Egypt or, or going through times of drought in the kingdom or a walking in a dry and thirsty land during the, the pilgrimage in the wilderness, the Lord was always with them. Jeremiah says, Lord, don't leave us. Don't be a stranger. Don't pass by. You are our hope. You are our Savior. Don't ever leave us. So here's the Lord's response in Jeremiah 14.10. Thus says the Lord concerning his people. They have loved to wander. One of the things that, that Jeremiah, you'll notice in God's response to Jeremiah, is he's not focused on Jeremiah here. Jeremiah's intercessory prayer was sincere. But God doesn't look at Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah, you have loved to wander. He says, they, Jeremiah, these people that you're standing in intercession for, they have loved to wander. I think of the old hymn, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the the one I love, the, the attitude of the heart of mankind in rebellion against God. They have loved to wander thus. They have not restrained their feet. The Lord is saying they're not even trying. Their, their feet are swift to shed innocent blood. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. God says, no, I'm, I'm not going to turn. Exile has come, it is the day of judgment. Just as there will be a day of redemption, just as there will be a day of restoration, there is a day of judgment. The God in his long suffering and his patience, he waits for the hearts of men, but there will come a day just as sure as the day of salvation is the day of judgment. So he says, 
I will not remember, or now he will remember their sins, uh, their iniquity, and punish their sins. I remember. Now, the, the word of God tells us that God takes our sins as far as the east is from the west. He removes them from himself so that he does not remember them anymore. This means when the Lord says, I remember their iniquity and I'll punish their sins. Is that the people aren't repenting. The people aren't turning. When Jonah was sent to Nineveh, remember Jonah had a bad attitude. He didn't like the Ninevites. He goes into town. He, you know, first off, he doesn't want to go, right? He, he tries to commit suicide, I believe, by being thrown off a ship in the middle of the storm. The Lord has a fish swallow him and, and puke him up on the shores of Nineveh. He goes into the city and says, 40 days hence, and the judgment of God will come and you'll all be dead. Well, that's not a real heartfelt cry for repentance for the people, is it? But the king put on sackcloth and ashes and called the people to repentance. And the people followed. And God relented of the judgment that was set in that day. Here we have Jeremiah praying and calling the people to repentance, but nobody is listening. They're all turning a deaf ear to the voice of Jeremiah as he cries to the people. So the Lord said to me, verse 11, do not pray for the welfare of this people. Though they fast, I will not hear their cry. Though they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. The Lord says, stop praying for their welfare. Sometimes, I think probably more than sometimes, mankind learns lessons only by passing through the fire of affliction, the fire of judgment. And praying that that judgment would cease and that man wouldn't have to deal with those consequences of his sins and those consequences of his choices then leads men to a place where they don't ever change their heart. And so God says to Jeremiah, stop praying for their welfare. I need to turn up the heat so that some will be saved. Because if I don't, they'll all perish. Don't pray for the welfare of this people. And don't tell them to stop going into all these rituals. Don't go into a ritual of prayer and fasting. So many times people say, you know, something bad has happened. We need to prayer and fast. As though by our prayer and fasting, we're going to change the purpose of God. Now, if you are praying and fasting as an act of repentance to a holy God, praise the Lord, do it. But if you're trying to appease God in his in his justified wrath, the Lord says, I, I'm not going to listen to their cry. The time for prayer and fasting was long before the day of judgment. So he says, I don't hear them. I will not hear their cry. Though they come and bring me offerings, bringing offerings to the Lord. I know across the land, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll get in trouble for this later. Across the land, there are a lot of people in a lot of places saying, you know what, we need to make sure that, that people are, are still contributing to the church and giving. Look, if you need money and you don't have it, keep it. 
My God is able to supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And I guarantee you, there is nobody, uh, none of the televangelists are telling you that. They'll say, send your seed faith money. And you'll change the heart of God so that he'll prosper you. So that he'll bless you because you wrote me a check. No. The Lord says they can bring all the offerings they want. I will not accept them. God doesn't doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. That's what he wants. And one of the ways I know God has my heart is when he also has the shiny things in my life that wants to draw my attention away from the Lord. Those are things for my heart. God's not poor. He has a cattle on a thousand hills. And he will make a way. How many times in your life, how many times in my life has the Lord made a way where there was no way? He is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. So the Lord says, I will consume them. And I want you to see this by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. Throughout the prophets, this comes up often. And I would would draw a direct link to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Remember the four horsemen of the apocalypse? We read in Revelation chapter 6. We have four. We have uh, the false Christ on the white horse. We have the red horse of war. We have uh, the, the, the black horse of famine. We have the pale horse of death. You have this symbol throughout the Old Testament prophets and into the New Testament prophecies that says when we enter into a time of God's judgment, these are, are markers for the way. One of the things that we talked about already in Jeremiah is a false religious system turning their hope to other gods, to other things that would save. That's a pseudo-Christ. Someone that looks like a savior but is unable to deliver. Next comes the sword, war. Followed by famine. Famine always follows war. And behind famine comes the pestilence. Ways that the Lord brings his judgment. The Lord says, this will be the judgment. Now, here's a unique thing, and I really, really hope that you can wrap your mind around it, because when, when God, through Jeremiah, was reaching to the people of Judah, they didn't have to face the sword. They didn't have to die of starvation in the famine. They didn't have to suffer under the pestilence, but here's what they needed to do. They needed to accept God's judgment and go into slavery in Babylon. But the Lord said, if you fight, you'll die by the sword. You'll die by famine. You'll die by pestilence. That's the truth behind the choices that they were making. And we make those choices every day. When God brings his judgment into my life, when God is correcting me, When God is doing a course correction, I've got off track. My job is not to complain about whatever the judgment is that the Lord has allowed in my life, but rather to submit. 
This is what you've called us to. To accept. In Jeremiah, as we get uh, into Jeremiah chapter 29, the Lord's going to tell the people, go build homes, plant gardens, have families, and live. That's his heart for the correction of his people. But he knows the stubbornness of men. It's not a very patriotic message. It says, give up, surrender to the enemy who's coming. But that was what God was speaking through his prophet. So Jeremiah responds in verse 13. (coughs) Excuse me. Then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, you shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. False prophets were speaking lying prophecies. Do you know this? Do you know that people want to hear a message they like? I'm not any different. I like happy people. You might look at me and say, but Jackie, you're not happy. That's probably why I like happy people. My, I married my beautiful wife who is, I affectionately know as Pollyanna. No matter what happens, she's going to tell me about the silver lining. And I like it. Don't go picking on my wife because she's Pollyanna. I like it. You don't want to see Jackie without Pollyanna. You don't want to see me without the little sunshine and rainbows that she pours in my life every day. Because otherwise, all you get is storm clouds all the time. So she tempers that in me. Now, I like those words. But I also know that sometimes I have to hear the harsh words too. Right? It's not all sunshine and rainbows. We know the realities of life would tell us that sometimes this life is much harsher than that. Right? And when we consider that, we want to be faithful men who honestly teach what God's word lays out. The children of Israel in this place were under God's judgment. I don't know that we can state today that we are not under God's judgment. The lying prophets will say it's something else. And the people's hearts will hear that positive message and not repent. And not confess their guilt before a holy God. So what's the value of their words? Look at verse 14. So the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them. I did not command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. This is what happens when people assume upon themselves the title of prophet. A prophet was a title that was delivered by God to his servant. The word of God came to Jeremiah and he touched him. That's not just a thought in his mind like we sometimes think of prophecy today. It was something delivered By the word of God, to the prophet of God, to the people of God. But there are people that were assuming titles upon themselves. Oh, we're the prophets. God will never let this happen. In 25 years of ministry, you know how many times I've heard someone say to me, my God would never do that. 
Well, if your God would never do that, and yet the word of God declares that he did, then you have a false God. It's the word of God that is the final arbiter in the lives of his people. God did not send these. Their divinations are worthless. So then in verse 15, the Lord says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I didn't send them, who say sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine, those prophets will be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy will be cast out of the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and sword, with none to bury them, them, their wives, their sons, their daughters. For I will pour out, listen, their evil upon them. When God's judgment comes, this is not God pouring out evil upon the good people. God has been restraining evil in the history of Israel for the last 150 years. Since the fall of the northern kingdom, God has restrained evil. And on the day of judgment, the Lord stops restraining evil. He allows their evil to come upon them. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. The, the judgment that was come out was their evil to fall upon them. So <clears throat> the Lord says to Jeremiah <clears throat> in 17, You shall say to them this word, Let my eyes run down with tears night and day. Let them not cease, for the virgin daughter of my people is shattered with a great wound. And a very grievous blow. There's a change in perspective. The Lord is saying, say to them this, my eyes will run with tears night and day. In Ezekiel, the word of God lays out for us that God does not glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would repent and live. The tears roll down night and day, and they will not cease. Why? Because my people are shattered. My people are being broken. They are receiving a grievous blow. If I go out into the field, behold, those pierced by the sword. If I enter the city, behold, the diseases of famine. For both prophet and priest ply their trade through the land, but they have no knowledge. Jeremiah is literally going to walk through the town, banging on doors, telling people, you don't have to starve to death. He'd open a door and there would be a mother and a father and their child dying of starvation. And Jeremiah would say, just, just surrender and go over to the armies of Babylon and live. And in their stubbornness, they will starve to death or die of famine in their hovel. Because they won't submit to the judgment of God. In verse 19, he says, Have you utterly rejected Judah? Does your soul loathe Zion? Why have you struck us down so that there is no healing? We look for peace, but no good came. We look for healing, but behold, terror. 
the question of the people is, are, have you utterly rejected? Is our time utterly over? Because we're not healed and we have no peace. All we have is terror. I was reminded today that the word of God lays out for us that in Revelation, that God will shake everything that can be shaken. During these several weeks or months that yet lay out before us, if the things you're holding on to feel shaken and crumbly, then you're holding on to the wrong things. We need to hold on to that which cannot be shaken. Our hope, our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the hope of Israel, remember? The hope of Israel. Sometimes God doesn't bring healing. But the Lord always saves. Sometimes the Lord doesn't bring prosperity but the lord always saves god is always working even when he tells us no but the purpose of god for his children is to enable and equip his children to arrive home safe that doesn't mean always to be free of disease <clears throat> doesn't mean always to have an abundance nor does it mean always to not the lord's purposes are his purpose but he still remains our hope because there will be a day <clears throat> when my god and king will throw open his arms and welcome me home. Despite my failures, despite my struggles, there will be a day when he'll look into my eyes and I hope and pray to hear the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. And as he wraps his arms around me, he covers me in his righteousness, in his glory. And he introduces me to his Father, without spot or wrinkle, perfected in Christ, there will be a day. On this earth, I will have tribulation. But the Lord said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. The struggles that we see here. Have you utterly rejected? Listen to, to verse 20. So Jeremiah says, we acknowledge our, wick, our wickedness, O Lord, the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. So do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. Listen to all the things Jeremiah, Jeremiah is saying, look, we're wretches. We're wicked people. And the only glorious thing he can point to is the glory of God. Don't dishonor your glory, your glorious throne. Don't break your covenant with us. Are there any other gods who can save? Is there any other false god that the nations have that can bring rain? 
Can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord, our God? We set our hope on you, for you do all these things. I remember, man, it's been a long time. I won't try to say how long ago. A long time ago, in a land far, far away, I had a dear friend who was diagnosed with uh, incurable cancer. And uh, seems like, in my memory, they were given like two weeks, something crazy. And I, I never forget the words that they spoke. They said, I want to be a good witness. I want to I wanna live out my two weeks being a good witness of what it means to trust in the Lord. And they lived better than a year. And they were a good witness for better than a year. God didn't heal. God did save. This friend of mine had their moment with the arms of their Savior wrapped around them. And heard whispered into their ears, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, it's only by your goodness any of us are saved. It's only by your glory. It's only by your honor. So we appeal to the glory of the Lord. We appeal to the promises of God. We appeal to his greatness. Because we don't have those things. We tend to be inglorious promise breakers and not all that great but the lord is all those things that equip us to rise up to him in in chapter 15 verse 1 i'm just going to do a couple more verses but in chapter 15 verse 1 listen to what the lord says to jeremiah then the lord said to me Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, my heart would not turn toward this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. Even if Moses and Samuel were here, I wouldn't listen to their prayers to stop either. This judgment, it is going to come. It is going to happen. So what will they face? And when they ask you, Jeremiah, when the people ask you, where shall we go? You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, you are for pestilence to pestilence. Those who are for the sword to the sword. Those who are for famine to famine. Those who are for captivity to captivity. There you have this judgment laid out for the people. And I see here this judgment laid out for the people as an opportunity for the people. Judgment will come. Choose. David was given the same opportunity. The Lord said, listen, judgment has got to come. So David, how do you want the judgment to come? By the hands of your enemies? By the hands of your God? David said, I want judgment by the hands of my God, not by the hands of my enemies. The Lord says, if you are for the pestilence, those who are for pestilence, they won't hear the call of the prophet. Then to pestilence they will go. Those to the sword, 
To the sword they will go. Those to the famine, to the famine they go. Listen to the hope, those to the captivity. Remember the word of God to those captives? Go, build, live. Accept. Captivity is my judgment for my people. I will appoint over them four kinds of destroyers, declares the Lord. The sword to kill, dogs to tear, birds of the air and beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. Well, Lord, why have you come to this place? Why is this the thing that has come upon the people? We look at Jeremiah fifteen four, And I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth because of what Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did. The Lord saying, look, you're going to captivity and this was settled. The day Manasseh took his rule. Manasseh had the longest rule of all the kings. He was the most wicked king. He sacrificed his own children when he built his palace and buried his children into the foundation of the house. He was a wicked, wicked man. And God waited with a patience over Manasseh. And Manasseh, in the end of his life, repents and has a season of grace. But before we would think that this is Manasseh's judgment poured out on all these innocent people, we'll forget what Paul wrote to us in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, listen, they not only do them, they give approval to those who practice them. God's judgment comes on a nation because (coughs) Manasseh led them into great wickedness and the people's feet were swift to follow. And the blood of the innocent cried out. And God brought his judgment. So who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Who will grieve for you? Who will turn aside to ask about your welfare? You have rejected me. Listen, you have rejected me. God didn't leave. Who left? It was they who left, declares the Lord. You keep going backward. You turn your back upon the Lord. So I have stretched out my hand against you and destroyed you. Listen, I am weary of relenting. The time of long suffering had passed. The day of judgment had come. So I have winnowed them with a winnowing fork in the gates of the land. I have bereaved them. I have destroyed my people. They did not turn from their ways. Why? They did not turn from their ways. They would not repent. So I have made their widows more in number than the sand of the sea. I have brought against the mothers of young men a destroyer at noonday. 
I have made anguish and terror fall upon them suddenly. She who bore seven has grown feeble. She has fainted away. Her son went down while it was yet day. She has been shamed and disgraced. And the rest of them I will give to the sword before their enemies, declares the Lord. The Lord God says he is the defender of the weak. Ezekiel declares that this judgment came upon the people. This judgment came as a shadow of the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, which came upon a people who had fullness of time, fullness of food, idleness of time, and they did not care about the poor. But God's word says that we're to care for the poor. God's word declares that we should save the innocent. I don't know what the numbers are in the world. But they would stagger you to consider the blood of the innocent on this earth. It would stagger you. If the only thing we considered in that number were abortions, you'd be over 60 million in our nation, not the world. How many children have we laid in the foundations of our homes? God's judgment is always a call to repentance, a call to confession, an acknowledgement of our sin, and we seek God's mercy and blessing. There will be a day of judgment. I'm not saying today's that day. But if it's not, it certainly is a precursor. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Lift your eyes to heaven. I don't know if the Lord will deliver us from this disease or he will deliver us through this disease. But I do know this. Our God is mighty to save and he is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. Amen? Why don't you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this time we can study this great book, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be rendered before you. For even as Judah and Jerusalem stand guilty, Lord, we stand guilty before you. And Lord, in our guilt, may we echo the prayers of Jeremiah. We have sinned, Lord. We are guilty. And we call upon your name to forgive our sin. Not through some ritualistic idea of appeasement to God. But humbly accepting whatever judgment may come from your hands. For you are holy, righteous, and true. And all your goals are to help your children arrive at your shore. Lord, we know that you are able. We ask wisdom for our world leaders. We pray, God, that you would guide those in the medical field. We pray that you would give the constituents beneath the, the people providing their orders, doing what they think is right. I pray that you would provide them with wisdom to respond to accept 
call on your name. For you, Lord God, are able. Lord, we know you work through the power of your spirit within your bride, the church. Lord, we pray that we would be a voice of hope, a voice of comfort, a voice that tells people, we'll be okay. We accept from the Lord that which he brings. We pray for the long-suffering we need for the journey. We pray to accept whatever judgment may come of God, but that we would never lose this truth, that he is our hope. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified and magnified in this place. Lord, that our hearts, our minds, our ears would be tuned to you, to receive from you that which we need day by day. Who cares what's on Netflix? Who cares what's on YouTube? Who cares whatever things you can do to deaden your mind and to blind your eyes? May we open our eyes and our ears to the Word of God, that there be no famine of the Word of God in our day. May we listen. May we respond. May we bow the knee to our great God and King. And may you be glorified through this time as we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.